Welcome to Ophthalmology Morning Commute, shared decision-making in age-related macular degeneration. Morning Commute is developed by Projects and Knowledge, powered by Kaplan, and is part of a continuing medical education series. This independent CME-CE activity is supported by an educational grant from Genentech, a member of the Rush Group. In this final episode of our three podcast series, Dr. Arshad Kanani and Dr. Carl Rigillo return to the disease burden of age-related macular degeneration and discuss shared decision-making and the importance of having an interdisciplinary team, as well as a strong social support system to help patients achieve their treatment goals. Information about the faculty and disclosures can be found at morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash AMD3. You can use this link to receive your credit and evaluate this program. The URL can also be accessed in the episode notes. Dr. Kanani is Managing Partner and Director of Clinical Research at Sierra Eye Associates and is also a Clinical Associate Professor at the University of Nevada, Reno School of Medicine. Dr. Rigillo is Chief of the Retinal Service at Wills Eye Hospital and a Professor of Ophthalmology at the Sidney Kimmel Medical College, Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia. I am your host, Candace Hoffman. Dr. Kanani will begin our discussion. Hi, I'm Arshad Kanani with uh, CRI Associates, and it's a pleasure to have my friend and colleague, Dr. Carl Rogello from Vilsai Hospital here with me. Thanks for joining me, Carl. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you here. In this uh, final episode of our series on age-related macular degeneration, this time let's dive deeper into how this disease affects our patients and the importance of shared decision-making. You know, we talk about these patients coming to our clinic with neovascular AMD, they have lost vision, they are scared, uh, they have seen their family members and their friends uh, or their parents, you know, lose vision to this disease. And when they come in, I think we need to educate uh, these patients about their disease. And I think we have to have shared decision-making so that we can have uh, outcomes for these patients that actually are good enough so they can have their independence. So Carl, we talked a little bit about in the first episode about the education part, but let's dive in a little bit more about how we do that in our clinical practice. I think everybody has their own, own style and own way to do it. But I think for me, I can only spend so much time with the, with the patient. I think the staff plays a big role in terms of educating and keeping these, these patients uh, motivated. So, so can you give some pearls about how you're talking to these patients and how you are involving them in terms of shared decision-making? Sure. Patients uh, come with a highly variable levels of degrees of understanding of what AMD is or what AMD. They've heard the terms. Uh, some are super scared to, to hear that they have wet AMD or AMD in general based on perhaps friends and family's experiences or maybe even um, their own parents in the old days when we didn't have good treatments. So, you know, in the old days before anti-VEGFs, of course, outcomes were disastrous. Most patients went blind, legally blind from wet AMD. And if that's how they remember the process, they're going to come in with a high level of anxiety. 
Um, and others know uh, they have peers and friends that are getting injections. So they're hearing about the treatments. So the first thing I do is try to get a feel for what they know, um, what they've heard. Uh, I ask them, have you heard of AMD? These are the stages. Uh, you have the wet form. Uh, the wet form, you know, is is a more advanced form. And like you said, it, the education not only starts right away, and most importantly, with that first encounter, but I think of it as an ongoing educational process for sure. Um, with me, the staff, engaging the family uh, so that they hear, because it, it, you throw a lot at the patient, that first consultation. So as you know, patients come in referred from a primary eye care provider. They're having some visual problems. The primary eye care provider does an examination, does an OCT, usually correctly makes the diagnosis of wet AMD, sends it in. It's relatively urgent. It's definitely time sensitive. So patients come in within a week or so. So they know they've got a problem. Uh, and they start to see the problem that is visually, of course, with their own symptoms. And just the fact that they've been sort of rushed in to see us, that this is not a quote routine consultation, already delivers the message that it's a time sensitive, important, serious problem. Um, so, and with that comes the high anxiety, not knowing what to expect and, um, and fearing needles. I mean, I could go on and on about how complicated the, the emotions, um, and what the patient must be thinking. Uh, I can't really get in there all the time, but I, I, I usually try to understand what they know and then try to educate them. Um, I provide information that is literature, some of which we've we've made ourselves, some of which comes from our academy. Uh, that helps because we send it home with them. Again, so much is thrown in them at that very first encounter. You're never quite sure how much sinks in or how much they understand or, or retain. And that's why having family on board nearby right there in the room, it certainly helps um, so that everyone is on board with exactly what's going on and what we need to do to get the best visual outcomes. I think those are great points. And I think knowing the social support system or not having a support system, I think it's good to know. And many of my patients drive from two or three or four hours away. First thing I ask, where do you live? Who drove you today? And if they say, well, I have a family member bringing me or a spouse, that gives me a signal that they will be more compliant versus I live at a certain place and I came in this transportation that runs once a month or once every other week, then I know that the patients may not be as, as compliant. The other thing I think for shared decision-making, Carl, is the fact that, and you mentioned that earlier, is patients think that we have a cure for their disease. So I actually highlight that, that it's a treatment. I give them example of like having high blood pressure. If you take your pills, your blood pressure stays good. If you don't take your pills, it goes up, just like diabetes. You take your insulin, your sugar stays good. So I tell them that we have injections that will control the disease, but as the injections will run out, we'll have to get another dose of that injection. Otherwise, your disease will reactivate. And I think some of them don't like that or, or forget that as we go into the treatment uh, journey. So I think I continue to emphasize the fact that that we have to continue this. But I think one thing I tell them, as you said, they're very anxious, they're scared, they were rushed into our clinic, they're seeing vision going down, are they gonna go blind? What I do is I 
go with a positive tone that we have great treatments for this condition and we continue to make strides and now we have a bispecific antibody that can be more durable. So I actually give them some positive news up front, but, but the baseline characteristics, as you said, define how the outcomes are gonna be. They have a big hemorrhage, they have fibrosis already, then I tell them that the treatment may not improve their vision much. If we can maintain it, that's great. But if they have early disease, we are able to um, help them improve vision. I think many of the patients fear the loss of independence. I think many of these patients want to still drive and still read and watch TV and write their checks. So I think having understanding of the disease really helps with shared decision-making. And you're right, patients come with different levels of knowledge. Some have Googled their way through the disease while others have uh, you know, have no clue what this disease can do. So I think having taking that time and engaging the staff is is important. Now, talking about the barriers, you know, in terms of coming to clinic, you know, they live three hours away. I just saw a patient the other day that comes three or four hours away, and and it's very difficult for her. And her daughter has to take time off and bring her. And every time she's there. She's always saying, how come it takes so long? And, and every time I tell her that we have to treat a lot of patients, just like we worked her in emergently, and she's a one-eye patient, that we work in patients on a daily basis. So on average, at least in my clinic, you know, it will take one to two hours. And, and every time she says, next time, I hope you do better, or I'm not coming back. And then I have to say, that you know we have to give this treatment. We will do our best to get you in and out. I know you come from far away, and I I know you don't like waiting, but having that communication, I think, is the key. If you just walk in, give an injection, and walk out, versus you tell the patient that uh, you're doing great, you know these treatments are working. We want you to continue this. I think that that really makes makes a difference. Carl, in terms of existing comorbidities, you know, many of these patients have other comorbidities. Uh, does that really play a role um, when you think about choosing an agent or a treatment plan? How do you work around that? Sure. There's a lot of factors in terms of um, how we get the patient to stay on board with treatment and get their injections in a timely fashion. Um, you mentioned the word engagement. Part of that and part of the education is uh, with the OCT imaging, what we use to guide treatment uh, is to have the patient understand what we're, what we're looking at, what we're trying to do. I say, look, the macula's wet. That means there's fluid and or blood in and under the retina. The drugs will, will typically get rid of all that wetness. And then we have to maintain the macula in a dry fashion. And we'll look at the OCT together. And we'll say, hey, look, that, that OCT looks good. You're going to, you know, you're doing well on treatment. This is keeping the vision good. We just have to keep it going. As you said, um, no cure. This is this is disease control and it's forever. And although I say that at the beginning, I can't tell you, and I'm sure you'll know too, how many patients will come back a few months later saying, are we done yet? Or do I need a treatment? It's like, of course you need a treatment. You need a treatment every time you come. Um, and uh, that needs to be reinforced. And um, I do like, I think the OCT imaging helps to maintain that because as we, as they skip a visit or they miss a visit, uh, you'll see the OCT worse and they may or may not see their vision worse. And they do, 
It helps to reinforce it. Uh, comorbidities, you mentioned. Now, that's 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 important. Just like you mentioned, understanding how far the patient's coming, understanding other other active medical issues. Are they seeing lots of doctors? Can they ambulate? Um, are they are they in assisted living? All these factors matter in getting the patient to the office. There's no other way to do this. And you mentioned the encounter is taking a while. They do, because it's not a simple, I don't want to, we shouldn't trivialize this treatment process. It's not come to the office, get injected, and go home. It's not a drive up window. It's, it's come to the office, get your vision tested, get your eye pressure tested, um, get the eye examined and scanned. And all that information is put together. It's not so, is it dry or wet? It's how the vision is. All these variables come into play in terms of how we make decisions on when the next treatment ought to be, if we're going to switch a drug, all these things we take into consideration at each and every visit. So it is complicated, and the patient needs to understand all the factors. How's your vision? How's the pressure? What does the scan look like? What does the exam look like? I go over this every time. I say, your scan's good. Your vision's stable. Uh, this means we can now spread the treatments out, so forth and so on. So it's important to, for the patient to understand my thinking process and all of what goes into the decisions we make, when the next visit's going to be, if we stay on the same medicine and so forth. And comorbidities play a role. Sometimes these patients are sick. Sometimes they're in a hospital. Sometimes they need surgery. And so we have to work around that. Or it could be something simple. There's a snowstorm. You live in a snowy environment, so do I. And how do patients deal with that? Is it a rush to get back? Maybe it is. Uh, I tell the patients, look, if you can't make it into the office, try to get in back within a week or two so we don't get behind. Because if we get behind, we may not recover from any setbacks that you might have when a, when a, when a treatment is missed. So they understand the implications of not showing up on time. I think you made some really good points. I think you're summarizing the fact that it's a very individualized treatment. And as physicians, we look at multiple things before we make a decision, what drug to use, how often to treat the patient and when to switch the patient. And I think the, the point about, I really like your point about showing the scans to the patient. I think that helps with treatment adherence and compliance because they actually see, sometimes they don't improve don't, they don't see improvement in visual acuity. They're like, oh, my vision is the same, but they see the OCT and we say, well, that was fluid and it's gone now, as you said. I think that really helps them understand the fact that we are not just treating them for the heck of it, but rather we actually have a treatment plan for them. So I think that's important. And I think for patients who cannot come in often or miss their appointments, I try to go to more durable agents right away because I know that they won't be able to come in every month. So you're right. I think it's a very individualized process catering to each patient and, and figuring out how compliant they're going to be um, so that we can have shared decision-making. In terms of risk and benefits of various treatment options, Carl, for me, as you said, other than bolecizumab, the injectables have comparable safety. So, you know, I do talk about the risk of endophthalmitis. I do talk about some irritation. I think some patients get fixated on subconj hemorrhage sometimes. I do tell them if you get a red eye, that's normal. It will look scary to other people, but it means nothing. It's just a small blood vessel that bled when the needle went in. 
Um, is there anything else you discuss with the patients in terms of other than endophthalmitis precautions and just irritation associated with, with injection when you're talking about treatments? Because they are very scared when you mention the word needle and they feel like it's going to hurt a lot and it's going to be painful and they all ask for general anesthesia. And, you know, obviously we don't do that. So, so what are some of the things you mentioned about the risk and benefits of these treatment options? Yeah, a lot of that's covered in the first encounter, but I always reinforce it. Every time a patient gets an injection, I tell them, look, the vision should never worsen and you should never have pain after any injection. If you do, that could be one of those rare infections. That's an emergency. Call us right away. The good news is, as you indicated, super safe drugs. The injection itself is very rare to get infection. It's one in 3,000 is the infection rate with an injection. So, but there's also irritation. There's things that occur that look dramatic, like a subconjunctival hemorrhage, but it's completely harmless. So knowing what to expect is important. So I always tell a patient after the injection, there could be irritation, use artificial tears. It's usually gone or better by the next day. If it's not, I want to hear about it. Or like I said, if you ever have vision loss um, or pain, that's not something to be expected um, because as we've said, you get all your vision up front, improvement, and then it's maintenance thereafter. So the vision shouldn't be changing. It won't get better. Um, patients need to know that, and it should not get worse. And if it is worsening, uh, we have to search for explanations, either inadequate disease control and therefore adjustments, changes in medicines, more frequent injections, or it's for another reason. They're getting a cataract, they're getting dry MD, whatever. And it's important for the patient to understand all of what's behind whatever vision changes they're having. No, I think those are those are great points. I think each patient is different. And as you said, the other comorbidities, ocular comorbidities that can impact their vision. And sometimes they feel like they're associating that to the treatment, that the treatment is not working, but rather the disease now, the dry macular is progressed and now they have atrophy and their vision is now impacted from them atrophy while while the vet macular is well controlled. So I do say that to patients when I start to see worsening of dry macular or even cataract, as you mentioned, that the vet macular is doing great. We need to continue this treatments. They're working really, really well. And of course, you know, if they have cataract, then I recommend cataract surgery. And if they have dry macular degeneration, now with the recent approval, we may be able to treat, treat that too. So I think it's all about educating, communicating, and having shared decision-making, I think that likely is the way to go in terms of having um, the best outcomes uh, for our patients with the neovascular AMD. Carl, any uh, closing uh, thoughts from you about how to engage or be active and proactive in making shared decisions so that we have optimal outcomes for our patients? You're absolutely right. The patient is an active participant in this process. They're not just coming in and getting an injection. Um, they're, they're having their vision tested. They're looking at the OCT. Together, we're determining that we have the disease under control. And if the vision is changing, understanding why it's changing. Is it is it the wet AMD? Is it something different? Can we do something about it? Um, so um, I really think that this dialogue has to be open uh, honest, and patients need to really fully understand and embrace 
what this treatment's all about, what it can accomplish and what it can't accomplish. So they're in it, in an, it's an indefinite treatment process. Um, they, they have to stay engaged. They have to understand uh, how they're benefiting in order to stay on top of this condition, get the best long-term outcomes. That's a great uh, summary, Carl. Thanks again uh, for joining me for this uh, podcast. And I also want to thank the audience for listening in. Remember to receive your credit and evaluate this program. Please visit morningcommutepodcast.com forward slash AMD3. You can find all of the episodes in this series and all of our other podcasts on your favorite podcast streaming services or download our Morning Commute app. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you.